Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Savina Society. Nothing but facts live stream where this is a tasawwuf and kalam based live stream. That's what we're all about. And where our audience is always that new type of person who is just learning Islam from the start, learning, getting interested. And also sometimes people who they know their th- stuff, but they want to hang out. And that's the other group that we are catering to in the Safina Society, Nothing But Facts live stream, which you could support at patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. And it's by that support that we're able to bring on guests. You notice the more that support comes in, the more we're able to bring guests. And uh, Ryan, mark this down. We're going to have an Ottoman scholar on the Tuesday, March, I believe like March 11th or something like that. He's coming here on MBIC on the 17th, right, of March. And he'll be there with us the Tuesday before that, if I'm not mistaken. Let's ask, watch. Anyway, but we will have an Ottoman scholar talking about Muhammad al-Fatih, the the life and and, and times of the great Muhammad al-Fatih, whom I'm extremely offended that Imran Hussein offended, like annoyed as heck, Imran Hussein went after. How could you? Who are you? Imran Hussein went after Muhammad al-Fatih. Now, Sheikh Imran Hussein, he's a man, he served the Ummah, he loves Islam, we know that. And I know him, by the way, from ages ago, when I was young, 12, 13, 14 years old, he used to live right here in Piscataway. Imran Hussein. Right? He's extremely entertaining. And you learn a thing or two. But why would you go after Muhammad al-Fatih? Who are you to go after Muhammad al-Fatih? And not only after him, like, like it's not the real Islam, blah, blah, blah. Like, after his deen. Because there is a hadith. Prophet ﷺ says that Imam Mahdi will conquer Constantinople. But it's not a conquest, it's a fatah. Fatah is conquest without, without uh, fighting. So he says, well, therefore, there, it can't be Muslim. Right? It can't be Muslim. How would the how would the Mahdi conquer something that's not Muslim? We say that's and therefore he has to negate the Ottomans. So in order to fix your theory, you have to make takfir of six hundred years of people. But point is that truth of the matter is there can be a fat for the heedless. Right? It is a fat in the sense of that they're heedless and they're against Imam al Mahdi. Now what does the Prophet say? When they hear the takbir of Imam al-Mahdi and his army, then they submit. That means they're already Muslim. They know what takbir is, they understand it, and their hearts soften, and they join Imam al-Mahdi. That is the correct understanding. You don't have to go and make takbir of Imam al-Mahdi, uh, of Muhammad al-Fatih, because you say that Imam Mahdi conquers Constantinople, therefore Constantinople has to be a non-Islamic city, right? Which is Constantinople is Istanbul, and Istanbul is a Greek or Byzantine word for the big city. Polis is there. Bull is Pol. Istanbul, right? Which is the big city, Constantinople. Constantinople also has the P-O-L suffix, which means polis, city. So that's what Istanbul is all about. And he's saying that Constantinople cannot be Islamic, Muslim. So are you actually making takfir and actually saying that these people are not Muslims? That is also, uh, uh, it's in, that is just insane. It's an insane take that, of, of his. And it, but it, it's important because Muhammad al-Fatih, the prophet, has prophecies about him. And there's like ijma' that it's him. 
نعم الجيش ونعم أمير ذلك الجيش Blessed army and blessed is the Amir of that army. Okay. So that's where we stand with... Um, how do we get to talk about Imran Hussein? Ottoman history. So we have an Ottoman history guest coming in March, inshallah ta'ala. He is a big shot from my alma mater of SOAS, which um, I have never kept in touch with SOAS. I didn't even go to the seminars during it. Because I don't believe in studying Islam for any other purpose except practicing it. To me, you are weird. You're weird if you study a religion and you don't believe in it and you don't make money. Because you don't make money in academics. Everyone knows that. There's no money in it. Which is one of the reasons that I felt like what a waste of time this is becoming. And it's relative and subjective. Like the job is actually relative and subjective. Um... You get all these PhD students, all of them can give lectures about anything they want, right? You're smart enough to give a lecture to get some books out of a library and sew a theme together, right? So who gets the job? You get the job based on your politics and based upon how you're going to be in the department and what, how many things you're going to produce, right? So it's relative. You're gonna, how many Islamic studies jobs are out there in the first place? In, in the United States, you're going to end up in some place like Georgia or Ohio or Utah, places that have nothing to do with business there, right? And don't want to live there. And on top of that, you're going to be making 65K a year. What, am I, what do I do with that 65K a year? What, what, what do I do with 65K a year? Livable. I'm going to do all this, graduate studies, all this for livable? No. I'm either going to make money or I'm not going to do it at all. That's number one. Number two, you teach one-on-one classes to kids with their, uh, in their PJs. And he's got their, his MacBook open, and he's got his coffee, and he's got all this. He's not paying attention to you. What am I doing this for? That's the question. Then you go to these conferences, and that's where you know, these people shine. But I'm thinking to myself, shining in front of whom? For what? I don't really respect a lot of the people at these conferences. They're nerds. They're not relevant at all. Nothing of this is relevant. And you're showing up my irrelevance has outperformed your irrelevance. That's really what a lot of academic conferences are like, personally. No offense to academicians. But let's be honest. These books are not being read by anybody. Let's be honest. And, but you're showing off. That means you are so clueless. Like you, you're so clueless. There was there were some kids in school that used to play pen wars. Pen wars is essentially like, and I looked at them. What are you guys saying, right? Uh, what are you guys saying? And and uh, and what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're playing wars with pens. So it's like, you go and uh, attack me here with the pen. On the paper, I attack you here. I'm like, wait, but what are the rules of the game? Nothing. You just attack each other. Like, so there's no relevance to this. It has no value. But you, in your world, you're excited because you defeated him. In your little world. So to me, like, you got issues. If your world, if you're able to just live in a fake world like that, right, that no nobody cares, and yet you're arrogant over it. That's the problem. You're arrogant about this. Were you going to say something? Is Ahmad's mic on, by the way? Yeah.
Let me say something. Yeah, no, if you, the thing is, if you if you speak to these PhDs and ask them about what their thesis topic is, yeah. it's always the most uh, out there thing. Mm. You know, it's uh, we're analyzing texts, you know, yeah. from the that emerged out of Southeast Asia, and yeah. we're looking at the how the certain color is used in the text and trying to see how that impacts education. And <laughs> I mean, uh, okay. the seventh century. You need to have some yeah. weird century there. It's got to be some weird century, and there's got to be some era. But listen, fine, be like that. But why are you arrogant? The fact that you're arrogant, like you must be that clueless that, you, that you're still arrogant over this? That's what the issue, that's what drives me nuts. You're still arrogant over this? And on something that has like zero, less than zero value, but you're arrogant about it. I don't, I don't get the arrogance. And, uh, and that's what happens when you learn linguistic academic gymnastics and you're really good at academic gymnastics and anything you say we can deconstruct it dice it apart all right dice it up tear it apart throw doubt on it mm -hmm. right and overanalyze it that is a skill by the way it's just a useful useless skill it's a useless skill is is lifting weights important if you're not actually using your muscles or something and affecting the world that's my problem with academics that is my problem with academics. Not saying that uh, all of it is like that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying all of them are like that. Okay. But to me, I, I just don't understand what you're arrogant about. Secondly, we have to talk about something more important than all this is nonsense in comparison to something that's actually very important, which is the Turkish earthquake. Let, it's not... It's not... Um, Affairs of the Ummah for today, but we will, we have to cover a, sort, a short briefing on the Turkish uh, earthquake because uh, this is live and it's happening right now. This earthquake was 7.8 and it didn't just strike Turkey, it entered into the lands of Syria and it has killed thousands now. This is, this is like serious stuff. I mean, this is, uh, it doesn't have to be Affairs of the Ummah uh, Wednesday, so the uh, Something like this happens, we have to cover it. 2,500 people have been killed and thousands have been injured. May Allah Ta'ala be with their families and give them shahada. Because we know that if a building falls on you in the Sharia, you're, you're a shaheed. In Islam, if a building falls on your head, you're a martyr. Right? Um, because of how... And Imam al-Nawi, he writes and he says, it's because how terrible the deaths are. Like it's a terrible death to die like that. To die with a building falling over your head like that. And likewise, the drowning person, the one who burns, the one who fights protecting his wealth and his family, and the one who um, uh, dies from internal, like something internally. Um, cancer is considered shahada, right? Maptun. Something internally happens. This is really the issue of the day, and these people need they need our du'a, and we believe in du'a. May Allah Ta'ala give ease and, 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 and rahmah to all of the families. Allahumma inna la nas'aluka radd al-qada' wa lakin nas'aluka al-lutfa bih. Sayyidina Imam al-Shafi said this amazing du'a as he was headed to uh, face the Sultan and to the governor of Yemen and to be killed because he was confused and he was... Um, they, they confused him and thought he was part of a Shi'i uprising. 
and these rebels okay um were getting killed they rebelled against the governor so they're getting killed as as rebels and he has a lot of poetry for ahl al-bayt and they thought he must be their supporter so when they brought him in and they spoke uh he the the governor realized this is not a rebel this is a scholar right and he ended up sending him to the abbasid khalifa but and they asked him what were you saying the whole time you're just waiting to be beheaded he said allahumma inni la as'aluka radd al-qada walakinni as'aluka al-lutfa bih he says oh allah i do not ask you to change your decree but i ask for gentleness therein and that's what we have to ask for these Uh, our brothers and sisters in in Turkey and Sham the quake was one of the strongest to hit the region in 100 years and it struck 23 kilometers east of Nurdagi in Turkey's Gaziantep province um at a depth of 24 15 miles so the depth of the quake it happened 15 miles under the ground i guess that's what they mean by the depth of the quake what else would they mean by that right mm-hmm. multiple strong uh, aftershocks have been felt across the region for hours because there are always these aftershocks turkey's disaster urgency appealed for help from the international community as it conducts search and rescue operations okay at this at this point the number is 2701 between both turkey and syria okay uh, there are collapsed buildings everywhere and and don't think when you look at this there are, there's the deaths that happen and then there's the after effects of unemployment that happens right so for example some people's employment is based upon obviously their building right that building's gone you're not going to have work you don't have work well what about your your kids and your families what's going to happen there's all these after effects that they never really get reported but um they do have ma- massive effects uh, on people the injured is 13,572 as of this moment according to cnn the total death toll in syria rose to 1,050 570 deaths across government controlled areas and white helmet groups known as the syrian civ- civil defense reported 480 deaths in opposition controlled territories because Syria of course has opposition controlled territories and it has the government controlled territories. So President Fouad Oktay he said that there's now 9733 injured people in Turkey that is the vice president of Turkey his name is Fouad Oktay which is Fouad basically at least 11,119 total injured 2,453 dead uh injured in syria okay now the russian soldiers assisting with the earthquake in syria do we trust them can't get a break yet at the same time the palestinians were suffering for decades and not much was done from syrian officially yeah. like they could have done way more but but now that now it's turned now it's spilled into them not like i'm happy about that but yeah. i've always thought about like the syrians the egyptians they're just sitting around right did they was it like they could have done major things to help these people 
I mean, from a from a far away, that's my assessment. Could be right, could be wrong. Um, the Russian army is now going with 300 soldiers, clearing debris and helping in search and rescue. I guess maybe everyone gets a bit humanitarian at this point when there's a, an earthquake. The Russian defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, instructed the commander of the Russian forces in Syria to provide assistance. The ministry said that Russian soldiers are, are mainly assisting in Aleppo, Hama, and Latakia. Servicemen are clearing debris. Okay. Putin pledged assistance to Turkey and Syria. It's the strongest foreign power in Syria. Putin has long allied himself with Bashar al-Assad, throwing the full weight of the Russian army behind the Syrian army. Okay, Turkish president has declared a week of national mourning. There should be dua tents, probably. Tents. We should. This is a time to bring down, to, to bring um, a lot of dua and dhikr, but also a lot of physical help. Like, not just dua, physically go out there and, and pick up the debris and stuff. You need the whole citizens to be on this. You can't just have the government do this and companies and subcontractors. The U.S. is going to be supplying teams. Okay, so what else is there to say? A lot of NGOs are there. Everyone is getting involved, basically, collecting debris. There are 50 aftershock, little mini earthquakes that have caused a lot of disruption. And some of the aftershocks are around 4.3, which is pretty, pretty big, pretty sizable. But this is really what should be front and center for all of us and all of our thoughts at this moment in time. What we can do is a lot of dua, okay, and they need volunteers. So if you are in Turkey, if you are, actually, subhanAllah, I need to send a message to the people that I that hosted me in Turkey, the shiuch and all that. SubhanAllah. After this, remind me after this to send them a message to the shiuch. The shiuch of, of Dar al-Funun and these Syrian scholars that I, I went to and visited the other day. SubhanAllah. Nonetheless, we will move on with our stream, despite the difficulty. Uh, thinking about, you know, this, it's always sort of weird to uh, sort of move on with life when something like this happens, but, I mean, what else are we going to do? And um, there, what is Ibrahim Khan talking about, Ryan? Ifrayan donation link. Yeah, whatever it is, as long as it's a legit link, because there's always people jumping in. Yeah. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy uh, for them, make the difficulty easy, and Allah ta'ala can make the difficulty very easy. Right? Allah ta'ala has the power to make something difficult extremely easy um how by showing people the uh, silver lining and showing people the future okay um subhi says that mulham is a verified charity for syrians and they do a lot of great work alhamdulillah mulham all right let me look that up mulham team is it is it is it legit? Mulham team. Euros. 
Yeah, and get me a get me like a. a we'll see. I mean, it's just a PayPal link. We need some. Um, hey, hey, Ahmad, why don't you look it up? See, see what other reliable sources have posted. Like, Sup is a reliable source to me, but um, I need to look at what the uh, what Mulham is all about. So, could you look up Mulham and see what's happened? Let us turn now to the death of Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi salatu wassalam. And we said earlier that death to us is simply passing from one abode to the next. Okay. And yet it was the hardest bala on the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And we, le- we left off on Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik said that we had not even removed the dust from our hands after the burial of Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi afdal salati wa taslim. When we began to feel the change in our hearts meaning that having been cut off from the from this from revelation now and just the knowledge that we are not receiving any more revelation that was enough for us to now start feeling immediately that uh, our hearts are changed ummul mu'minin said aisha said rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam passed on a monday Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi afdal salati wa taslim passed away on a Monday, says Jafar ibn Muhammad. Of course, we know who he is, Jafar al-Sadiq. Jafar al-Sadiq ibn Muhammad al-Baqir, ibn Ali Zayn al-Abidin, ibn al-Husayn, ibn al-Sayyid al-Fatima wa Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib. Did you memorize it? Meaning a little bit. I'm sitting next to Abbasi over here. No, but from the Prophet's uncle. Huh? The lineage of the Prophet's uncle. Sayyidina Abbas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Abbas. But nonetheless, you got to know this line. Ones, yeah. At least to Jafar al-Sadiq, to Musa al-Kadim. Yeah. To Ali al-Ridha. Right. Because we actually, there's knowledge, there's scholarship. They're in the chains of scholarship. Jafar al-Sadiq, son of Muhammad al-Baqir, son of Ali Zayn al-Abidin, son of Hussein, son of Sayyidina Ali, Sayyidina Fatima. So after Ibn Abbas, who is it in that? Abdullah bin Abbas. Then it's Muhammad. He named Muhammad. How many sons did Abdullah bin Abbas have? We're going to kick you out of the lineage right now. <laughs> Study it and get back to me. Find out from your dad. Do you have a, sh- a tree? I have a tree, but it's like, it's not all the way up to... No, just I want to know... The early Salaf of the Abbasi the lineage. Salaf, yeah. Like Abdullah bin Abbas, how many sons did he have? Because Hussein had one son. Yeah, yeah. Hassan ibn Ali had 16 sons. Right? Yeah, sons. So see, see how many sons did Abdullah bin Abbas have? And like which son is it that ended up with the Khilafah? Right? That, that stuff is like good Islamic history for us to know. You, you have three days or else we kick you out of lineage. Simple as that. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was buried on that uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away on a Monday says Jafar ibn Muhammad al-Sadiq this day and the day of Tuesday was spent in preparation for the burial and he was buried that night Tuesday night okay Sufyan who is a narrator of this hadith says only this has been mentioned in the hadith of Sayyidina al-Imam al-Baqir radiyallahu anhu Muhammad al-Baqir who was min ulama ahl al-Madinah and he debated Abu Hanifa when he came and they came to an agreement. In other hadith, it is stated that in the latter portion of the night, the sound of spades were heard digging. 
The grave was dug in the last portion of the night. A question may arise, why did it take so long before Sayyid Kaunin, alayhi salatu wasalam, was buried? It's a shock, right? Great messenger passes away. You're going to be in shock. What do we do? Okay. So he says, the fact is that the amount of obstacles that had to be overcome, taking this into consideration, could not be said that the burial was delayed. Who is saying the burial was delayed? That means you're a non-companion criticizing a companion. It's like, know who you are in your place. Your, your words have so little value, right? Okay. Uh, it's like uh, someone coming in this century of great Islamic victory and success, criticizing Muhammad al-Fatah, the most, the, one of the greatest Islamic generals, Khalifas, conquerors we've ever had. In every aspect, he was a scholar. He was a abid. He had shiuch, like he was a worshiper too. He was a faqih, like in every respect, the man is a legend. It's sacred in sacred Islamic history, not just secular history, meaning we value him in the deen, Muhammad al-Fatah, not just as a historical figure. Because someone could be a legend in, in, in life, in history, but not for us in deen, right? Like Napoleon's a legend. In French, in French history, he's a legend, right? He, he did amazing things from the worldly perspective. Of course, he may be an enemy to us. He came into Egypt, he came into these countries. But Muhammad al-Fatah is not just a worldly legend, okay? He's a sacred figure in our religion. He's from the, 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 the Salaf al-Salih. Salaf not being the first three generations, but linguistically, Salaf of those who passed before us like your grandfather is salaf to you salaf is the as salaf the salaf is the original three generations right that's when we say the salaf that's what we follow in our religion but technically by language anyone who comes before you is your salaf right the first thing is at the time of such a shocking incident besides abu Bakr all the others were either shocked confused or did not fully grasp the actual situation. Some were confounded and astonished. Some were so aghast they could not speak for days. Because of this intense shock, it could not, it could not be believed that Sayyidina Rasulullah had passed away. There was this incomplete shock. A strong and powerful personality, like Omar, could not control himself. Therefore, thereafter, when the time came for the continuation of this ministration, one was more important than any other. One thing was more important than any other. The most important issue at the, at the moment was that of the Khilafah because it was needed for every detail. Like you need order. As differences were beginning to take place, already, within a day after the passing of Sayyid al-Kawni, and since it, this is a Nabi, we need to know exactly what to do. You don't just bury him like anybody else. This is a Nabi. As it mentioned earlier, some were adamant that the Messenger be taken to Mecca for the burial. Some said that he should be buried with Sayyidina Ibrahim. In the same manner, there were differences regarding the takfin and the tajiz. tajiz. How do we bury him? Do we wash him? Do we, what do we do? You're not gonna, are you going to take the Prophet's shirt off? It's your Prophet. right? That is your Prophet. That's more important than yourself. The tajiz and takfin of common people were observed many times. But this is a Prophet. So how should the ghusl be done? How should the janazah be done? Like, what is, Do we have fiqh on this? The hadith to be referred to whenever a question arose. Okay. 
as a result, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was given a ghusl without his clothes being removed. This is your prophet. You're not going to remove his clothes. And janazah was done individually, no jama'ah. Okay? It is apparent that the time needed for every Muslim present uh, there to do salat al-janazah was considerable. This is something everyone has to go to. It's not just fard kifaya for you. You all have to go. Besides this, the question of the oath of allegiance. Like, who's in charge now in our ummah? Okay? If, it is unsu- if an unsuitable person was chosen to be an emir, the matters of the deen would become chaotic. To remove such a person later on would be a calamity on its own and extremely difficult. Therefore, the protection of the deen now dependent on selecting an emir. This question was settled to the, till the evening. The next day, after the general bay'ah was made, Sayyidina Abu Bakr commanded what should be carried out. Thereafter, every stage was overcome without any difficulty. Okay. Al-Mufassir is talking about the earthquake. Yes, we did mention the earthquake. We did talk about it. Yes, we did talk about it. Of course, it's on our minds and it should be on everyone's minds. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was buried during the night of Tuesday and Wednesday, which could be called Tuesday or Wednesday too, hence this hadith did not contradict the previous hadith. Okay. So, Tuesday meaning Tuesday night, which in Arabic is something called the night of Wednesday. Because if you follow a lunar calendar, the night comes before the day. Why does the night come before the day? Because you only know your month at night. That's when you start to know what month you're in. Okay, that's a lunar calendar. The night comes is treated before the day. In the calculation and in the calendar. And Mufassir, you can um, you can give us some updates and reports, and we can share them when we get into the comments and questions. Salim ibn Ubaid. A Sahabi, he said that Sayyid al Kunayn Ali Abdullah Salati wa Taslim became unconscious during his last illness. When he became conscious, he would ask, Is it time for Salah? When they said yes, he said, Instruct Bilal to call the Adhan and instruct Abu Bakr to lead the Salah. And this happened multiple times, not just one time, multiple times. He said this because he was too ill to go to the masjid, and Sayyidina Abu Bakr was naturally soft natured. Many a time he would weep easily. Sayyidah Aisha said she knew her father's, uh, knowing her father's relationship with the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, that he would not be able to withstand the absence of the Prophet, uh, uh, so she requested, my father is very soft-hearted. If he is going to stand in your place and lead the Salah, he will weep, okay? and, we will not be able to, and will not be able to lead the Salah. So ask somebody else to establish, to lead the prayer. In this manner, after Sayyidah Aisha made this request several times, the Prophet ﷺ said, Do you want to be from those women in the incident of Yusuf? Okay. Now, what is the relation to that, to this, to that? We know that the Messenger ﷺ is the most intelligent of human beings. In our aqidah, the Prophets are the most intelligent. Not only are they, do they have wahi, they have revelation, but they're also, they have fatana. They are the most intelligent of all human beings. So when the prophet makes an analogy, there must be some depth in the analogy. Okay? There must be some depth in the analogy. So who are the women in the time of Yusuf? 
Okay. The ulama have given their opinions on this hadith. Being, are you, do you want to be from the women of Yusuf? What does that mean? The first is that by you, the Prophet ﷺ is specifically talking about Sayyidina Aisha. And by women, he's only talking about Zulaikha. So it, how in this instance is Aisha connected to Zulaikha? Zulaikha is the woman who, she herself was a very beautiful woman, but the problem was, she was a young lady. The problem was in, that, in the religion of those people, they, were, they didn't have intercourse. Married, the married man would not have intercourse with his wife. So she was frustrated. And she's living all alone with this handsome man, the most handsome man ever, okay, which is Sayyidina Yusuf. So she got a fitna from Sayyidina Yusuf. And she was frustrated. She, they didn't have intercourse. That's what they say about the nobles of that time, okay, is that he would have a wife, but they would not have any relations. And as a result of that, that caused her to, to uh, um, be infatuated with Sayyidina Yusuf. And they're home alone all day, together. Yeah, they're servants, but pretty much they're the only two people in the house there. The husband is away. He's a senator. So let's see now. What, what do the scholars say? They say that this is an example of given to stress talking of things that are, are not in your place to talk about. Okay, that's the one thing. That's one of the first things that they say. That's one of the analogies. It's what are you... Um, what are you saying? Why are you involved in this discussion when you are not the emir? Nor are you in the shura. That's the first uh, statement that the ulama say. Is that she is speaking about a matter that is not, her, is not in her place. Well, where did Zulaikha do that? Okay. Where did Zulaikha do that? Speak about matters. Well, she also suggested for you, Sayyidina Yusuf, to go put, be put in jail. Okay. Maybe that's what's meant, but I still haven't seen like the one target home run explanation. I'm sure it's there, but I haven't seen it yet. Next, Zuleika had invited women who tormented her. The women who made fun of Zuleika. Now Zuleika was an elite woman. She married to an elite man. The word spread around that she's chasing after Yusuf. So the women made fun of her. So she then invited all these women so they could see Yusuf himself, uh, themselves. Okay? And they will excuse her for doing what she did. Because they did have a sense of morality at the time, and their morality was that you don't go after your servant. You don't go after other guys. That was their sense, right? She said, okay, well, let's come and see Yusuf, and see if you blame me after that. Okay? In the same manner, Sayyid Aisha outwardly said this, uh, that Sayyidina Abu Bakr is soft-natured, all right, and he will not be able to stand in your place, but she had this in mind, as mentioned by her on another occasion, what made me repeat this to the Prophet was that, according to me, the people will never like the one who stands in place of the Prophet. That was the real reason that she didn't want Abu Bakr to, to, to be the imam after the Prophet, because you cannot follow up the messenger, peace be upon him. It's always going to be a downfall. So it would make your father look like it's like a downgrade. You went from, when you have the prophet, anyone who comes after the prophet will be a downgrade. Okay? That's why she said it. And she said that herself, because I don't want people to look down on my father. So that's the analogy that the prophet said. 
So you don't want people to look down. Zuleika didn't want people to look down on her. So she invited Sayyidina Yusuf uh, and the women um, to, to see Sayyidina Yusuf so that they wouldn't look down on her for what she did. Likewise, Sayyida Aisha was protecting herself with the comment that puts someone else so that my father is not the one who people will say, oh, he's not like the Prophet. Oh, the time is not like the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's the logic of the analogy. The second explanation here is that by you, Aisha and Hafsa are meant, and by the women of Yusuf, those women who were invited by Zuleikha, and the logic behind that is, um, again, talking about something that you do not have business with. And the second one is to stress and show, uh, say a thing that is not in your heart. That is what the Prophet... So when Sayyidah Zuleikha invited the women, right? She invited the women for food. But in her mind, it was a plan to protect herself. Because when the women come in for food, I'm going to bring Yusuf out. Then nobody will blame me. So likewise, the Prophet is saying here, that Sayyidah Aisha, you're saying he's soft-hearted and people can't hear the prayer, right? No, what you really mean is you don't want people to look down on your father. So you're saying one thing, but you're meaning another thing. That is essentially what the analogy uh, is here. Okay. Okay. So it's a self-serving comment. No, self-serving isn't always bad. In neither of these cases is it bad. In Zuleika's case, nor in Sayyidah's case. You're allowed to protect yourself and your reputation if you want to. Okay. If it was bad, then the Prophet would have explicitly said, what you're saying is bad. No, he just said, you're you're just like the... Uh, Zuleikha, basically. You're trying to protect your your reputation and everything. And then what's wrong with that? So if it was wrong, he would have explicitly said it's wrong. Okay. How many salah did Sayyidina Abu Bakr lead during the illness of the Prophet Omar, do you have a guess? How many salah prayers did he lead? Because the illness of the Prophet happened over a few days, just to give you that context. So how many prayers did he lead? In those three days, days, yes. Do you have any, um, have you come upon any knowledge with this? Thirteen? You heard eleven? He says here, seventeen. He led seventeen prayers in the absence of Sayyid al-Kawnein. In the commentary of the book, that. Salam rahmatullah habib. It started from Laylatul Jum'ah, Aisha on Laylatul Jum'ah. Okay. Laylatul Jum'ah meaning what we would call it Thursday night. All right. And then the, uh, he kept leading these prayers until Monday, just before midday. So Monday, Fajr was the last prayer that he led. Okay, and so they calculated to 17 prayers. And Abu Bakr led that. That means pretty much that includes Jum'ah, right? So everyone got to see that the Imam, in the absence of Sayyid al-Kawnayn, is whom? Abu Bakr Siddiq. So they got to see that for 17 salawat, including Jum'ah, that there's only one Jum'ah in Medina, remember that. In Medina, there's only, at that time, there was only one Jum'ah. According to this humble servant, says the author, 
The illness of Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi salatu wasalam had become long before this, and hence Sayyidina Abu Bakr had led the salah on a number of occasions. Okay, so from Friday to Monday. Once during the illness, Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi salatu wasalam came out, and he asked if there was anyone who could support him to the mosque. Barira and another person offered themselves. They held him, and he leaned upon them. Okay. Sensing the arrival of the Prophet وسلم, Abu Bakr began to move back But the Prophet signaled him to stay And he finished the Salah Leading the Prophet in the Salah Okay So that is the implicit Not explicit But implicit signaling That this is the Imam after me Like it can't be more implicit However So why didn't he say it explicitly And solve the problem Firstly there's no problem But secondly the Prophet وسلم, Wants the Ummah to choose He's giving his implicit but he wants, this is a rahmah, this is showing the wisdom of the Prophet. He wants the ummah to choose their own leader. That's the way that we do things in Islam. We all get together and we say, who's our leader here? You be our leader. And then once you choose your leader, who choose? Who, who does that? Everyone? No. The people who have value, who offer value, who have knowledge, who have wisdom, who have experience. Not every Joe Schmo comes in and says, you should be the leader, you should be the leader. You end up with Trump country of idiocracy has taken over the country the system is stupid the system of everyone gets a vote when everyone's educated okay you don't give ignorant people the ability to do major things right like be generals in the army do surgery do dentistry until you learn so go learn honestly you have a you have a 300 million people 350 million now in the in the united states this is never going to happen but I would say, listen, you want to vote? You got to be educated. You have to prove that you have some modicum of education, right? And then based upon your modicum of education, you can actually vote for... Now, I'll tell you why this is going to be a big problem because they're going to say, well, all the rich are educated and it biases the wealthy, right? And it's going to put the... And the wealthy, therefore, if only they are of, of voting, then clearly they're going to vote for the candidates that serve them. But I say, not necessarily. Can't you put a couple videos, a playlist? We're not saying you have to have an MA or a PhD. A couple playlists. A pl- one playlist. You have to watch this playlist of basic education. How the government works. What is a democracy? What is, how does the media involved in this? Some basic global history uh, or, or geography. Basic geography, right? What are the continents? Uh, the basic history of the nation. And then you pass a test. Is it that hard? Of course, then, well, I'll tell you why it's impossible. is because you're going to need a big administration to make this happen. Make sure no one's cheating. This is not a hard test, I don't believe. Right? It's not a hard test. I think there should be basic logic. Like causation versus correlation. Because that's what politics is all about. Oh, uh, the president, is up, his term is up and he's going for renewal. And then the economy collapses. collapses. That's total correlation. It has nothing to do with him being president. And yet, it has screwed every president. Right? Every president gets kicked out if the economy dips in the fourth year. That's all it is. Right? That's all it is. And it has nothing to do with the president 90% of the time. It's just, it's just how the economy is. Right? Did the economy suddenly get amazingly better in 2008 when Obama came in? Was it Bush's fault that the banks were giving out all these ridiculous mortgages, right, that no everyone knows would never be paid? No. 
it's a complete correlation. So there needs to be some education. So uh, on top of that, it, it is a facade, of course, that Subhi is saying it's a facade. The Electoral College are just a corporate stooges. Of course, the, the politicians, they're managing between corporations, the military. like They're like managing between these things. Okay? In any event, in our system, okay, the best system is that the educated, the knowledgeable, those who have shown to care about the ummah, they get together, and those who would have been uh, eligible to be leaders, that's the key. They're the ones who choose someone amongst themselves, right? And they make him the leader. And so the Prophet Sallallahu did not explicitly name his successor with a great wisdom, perhaps the answer to that is that so that the ummah can choose their own leader and when you choose your own leader you'll follow him better if I was to come and say Omar, your, t- your teacher is so and so you may benefit, you may not but if you choose your own teacher you feel like, okay, this is my choice I'm going for this and you also, you think about it well, who am I going to choose? thank you you feel involved. You feel involved. Like, uh, I'm involved in, in the decision of my fate. Right? So, that's why the Prophet ﷺ did not explicitly, but he implicitly signaled. And, ultimately, the companions themselves agreed that it will be Abu Bakr. It is apparent what difficulties and hardships the Sahaba experienced at this time, bearing in mind that the Munafiqeen got involved. And some of those who had just become Muslims in Mecca got involved. Somebody is asking, what is the difference in causation and correlation? Correlation is when two things happen simultaneously or at the same time, and your mind thinks it's because that they caused each other, or one caused the other. That's caused the, the myth of causation and correlation, or the logical misstep of causation and correlation. Okay, Like... Um, I didn't have my coffee this morning, and I got a headache. Well, you could have also not slept well. You could have also not drinking water, and you're dehydrated. You could also, maybe the temperature was too high. There are many other reasons you could have gotten a headache, but you imagine that it's your coffee, right? And so that's an example, basically. Or the economy goes down during so-and-so's presidential uh, uh, you know, um, term, and we all imagine it's because of that. Because he's president, the economy went down. That's causation and correlation. And, and that's the biggest mistake that most people do, most people make. Together with all this, the passing of away of the blessed and noble personality of the Prophet ﷺ, who was so beloved, for whom the Sahaba had sacrificed their homes, families, and relatives, on this morning it seemed that he was recovering and that he was sustain, sustaining it and uh, but actually he was sustaining it and not recovering. And it is always the case that there is one last moment of health before the end. So that the Prophet could see his ummah and they could see him one final time. Okay, That is the wisdom behind that. And the news spread quickly, but many people could not believe it. Also, if Allah wills to test the people, he wills to test the people. If sometimes he wills to test them and see their reaction when they least expect it. Ra- rather than giving you the expectation, then the test comes. It's not really a test. Okay, so Sayyidina Omar, being so strong-hearted and so respected, courageous, okay, he could not bear the 
com the concept that the Prophet had passed away. So he took his sword out and he said, I swear by Allah okay, that Rasulullah has not passed away. And all those saying it are munafiks and you will pass away. Okay? With my sword. Okay? So that's what Sayyidina Umar said. Okay? So he said, I will sever the person's head with my sword. Okay? Everyone remained silent. They, the Sahaba, said to Salim, go to the companion of Rasulullah and call him. Abu Bakr Siddiq. He is the only one that will bring the boat to shore in this stormy period. Abu Bakr Siddiq came out. He saw Sayyidina Umar swinging his sword at the people. Okay. And, and he spoke. Okay. With tears flowing in his eyes. And he spoke. And he confirmed with Sayyidina Aisha. Has Rasulullah passed away? Right. And then he went to the mosque and to the people. And he said, Oh people, make way for me. He got onto the mimbar. Okay. And he said, He recited, You will die and they will die. Everyone will die. Okay. Uh, he, so, where is his mind? The sign of how do you keep your mind? Confirm the facts. Confirm the facts. For, that's the first thing you do. Confirm the facts. And don't let your emotions get the better of you and, and, and mistake rhetoric or, or things that people are saying with the facts. Like what are the facts in this situation? Not what is perceived. What are the facts? Okay. And then he said to everybody, those who have worshipped uh, the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, the Prophet has died. Meaning the Prophet moved to the next abode. Okay. And those who worship Allah, Allah is alive and never dies. That means pick up your hearts, pick yourselves up, clarify your minds, and do what Allah would want you to do. And he recited, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٍ مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِقَبْلِهِ الرَّسُولِ Surah Ali Imran. Muhammad is a messenger. He's not a god. He is a messenger. Okay. Other messengers died too. There's just nothing wrong with dying. Right? Whoever worships Muhammad, Muhammad has died. Whoever worships Allah, Allah is living and never dies. Okay? When the people heard Abu Bakr recite these words and recite the ayats and recite these things, it is essentially, um, it is essentially, it calms people's minds down that there's nothing wrong and death, it is a passing from one abode to the next. All messengers, they're, they, they, have a maqam higher than the martyrs, right? Martyrs are alive in their graves. Prophets are more than that, right? But in this world, we can say he died. There's nothing wrong with that. Meaning he transferred from one abode to the next. Okay. So again, Abu Bakr Siddiq showed his distinction amongst the companions, is that he was the one who calmed the hearts and the minds of the companion, brought some level-headedness that... Muhammad is a human being who the effects of humanity come upon him. That's why we were able to follow him. If he was something that we could never follow, something different from us, we wouldn't be able to take example from him. 
Okay. The Muhajirin got together and they discussed the matter. They said, let's go to our brothers from among the Ansar and include them in this matter. The Ansar said, well, we shall choose an Amir and the Muhajirin should have their own Amir. So we're two different groups of people here, the Meccans and the original Ansar. So each of you will have your own ruler. Okay. Umar ibn Khattab said, who is that person who is in one instance possesses these three virtues, whom Allah Ta'ala has mentioned in the Quran? Second of two, aren't they in the cave? This is the greatest virtue that, and it's the greatest name that Abu Bakr can get. And this is why people name Sanius name. Because the Quran does not call him Abu Bakr. The Quran calls him by the distinction that he had that no one else had, the second of two in the cave. Right? Second of two when they when they were in the cave. That's the best distinction you can ever have. Who else was in the lowest, most dangerous point politically and physically on the earth? Who did the Prophet choose to be with? And that's what Allah highlights in the Quran. So Zayd is mentioned by his name. And people say that that's the greatest, the, that's the Sahabi who had the greatest honor of the Quran. But I say, no, Zayd is his name. But this attribute is the best attribute, the second of two, when they were in the cave. Okay. The Prophet says to his friend, Allah calls him Sahabi in the Quran. Right? That's why whoever says that uh, Abu Bakr is not a Sahabi is a kafir. Because it's by ijma'. There's no discussion that he is the one who made the hijrah with the Prophet son. We all agree on that. And the Quran call says, li sahibihi. Okay, so next one he says, La tahzan inna Allah ma'ana. Therefore, Allah is with Abu Bakr at all times. Because the Prophet says it. It's in the Quran, therefore it's not going to be changed. Right? Amazing istidlal here. Surah Tawbah. Others that made him lead the prayer okay so others he's died in his daughter's bedroom others that he is the one who calmed the ummah upon the death of Sayyid Kauni okay thereafter Sayyidina Umar then uh, placed his hand in the hand of Abu Bakr when he saw that there was some tension in the voices the moment Omar heard tension in the voices, is Abu Bakr gave a speech. Omar gave a speech. When they heard that night, the Ansar are planning to, to, to choose a Khalifa. I mean, wait a second. Without consulting us? We're the Muhajirin. They went quickly to the gathering. There they saw that they're actually planning to put a Khalifa. So hold on. Abu Bakr speak. Then Omar spoke. Then they started retorting back. And once Omar saw the rebuttal, Oh, you're arguing back? And later on, he said, if that disagreement had exited the building, it would have lit Arabia in, into a civil war. Right? It would be the end of Islam. So Omar had to make sure this disagreement never exits this room because there were leaders there, leaders of the Muhajirin, leaders of the Ansar. If that's it, the Munafiqeen jump on that. The Meccans, just brand new in Islam, their loyalties in question, they jump on that. Everyone jumps on that splits apart Islam so immediately knowing look at how his instinct was so brilliant 
he immediately took the hand of Abu Bakr and sma- slapped his hand into his hand, making a noise. Everyone was shocked. Everyone was just at a standstill. And he said, Bayatuk. And he said, I give you the oath of allegiance. He took an action. At that action, everyone was just in shock. No one was expecting that. Then the next person who was there followed him, and the next, and the next, and the next, and then everyone had to follow him. So there's two things about this. The first thing is that uh, the question that the scholars have said, based upon this, if somebody has the, has the qualifications to be a khalifa or a leader and appoints somebody else and says, this is our leader, that's valid. However, later on, a man came to Omar and he said, after you die, I'm going to stand up and say, Ali's the khalifa. He said, you don't have the right to do that, right? He said, you did it. You did it when, uh, Abu, when the Prophet passed away. You stood up and said, Abu Bakr is the khalifa, right? So then Omar ibn Khattab gave a speech, and this was at Hajj. He gave a speech to everybody and he told the whole story. He said, the room had fitna and I had to put out the fitna and that, and that is not allowed for anyone to do after me. Right? So that was a one-off case because of a fitna. That's an example of a fatwa. A fatwa is that you go against the known ruling of things, but you may do so because there's an alternative that is far worse. And the alternative that's far worse would be to allow that dissension to leave the room. And he'd not allow the dissension to leave the room. He was saying Omar was a mujtahid and a mufti. And he has shown in many cases where he gives fatwa where he's, he says that something, in this case, we're not going to do it. Or in this case, we are going to do it. Because the circumstances changed. Uh, another famous example of that is his suspending of the hudud. He suspended the had punishments during time of drought. People are stealing. They're stealing because they're hungry. right? This is not normal behavior of people, therefore he's not going to punish anyone in a time of drought. So, so that is the initial bay'ah that took place among the gathering of the Ansar, and thereafter a general bay'ah happened in the mosque of the Prophet uh, it, for everybody to come, in Masjid al-Nabawi, for everybody to come and give the bay'ah. Okay. Then Abu Bakr delivered a khutbah, in which he said, I swear an oath by Allah that I never coveted this post, nor was I induced to do so in public or private, nor did I make dua for it. I feared that if I did not accept it, a greater calamity would appear on the ummah. I have no rest in it. And what has been thrown upon me is a burden that is beyond my control. Things can only run smoothly with the help of Allah. If you see me do good, obey me. If you see me do wrong, correct me. Basics of the ethics of a leader. Anas ibn Malik related that the Messenger was in a severe illness. Sayyidah Fatima said uh, she was sad about the sickness of my father and the Prophet said after this day your father will never experience another difficulty verily that inevitable thing has descended on your father today which is death which till the day of Qiyamah will not be averted by anybody everyone will taste death and she would say hay the sickness of my father and hay was an expression um, I guess it's hay of distress and sorrow Okay, let's let me just check real quick the the Arabic for that one. Let's say the Fatima used to it's the spelling of that is Wa Karba. Oh what a calamity. 
حدثنا ثابت البناني عن أنس قال لما وجد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من كرب الموت ما وجد قالت فاطمة رضي الله تعالى وكرباه اسحي No mention. That's weird. No, no mention of anything with a hat or a hat. Interesting. In any event, meaning is the same meaning, I guess. But I don't know why he puts H A A I. Where The person that loses two infants, says the Prophet will be granted paradise. That's heavy. If you have ever lost two infants, infants meaning under the age of two. Allahu No, Allahu I don't know if it counts as miscarriages, counts as not, because they're not considered dead unless they're born alive. Like if if someone if there's a stillbirth, which means a baby is born dead, or comes out dead, or miscarriages, there is no um, there is no um, burial. You could bury them, but there's no like janazah or washing. That those things don't apply. You have to have at least been alive for a moment. The one who has lost only one infant from your ummah, says Sayyid Aisha, says, what about someone who lost one infant? He said, also the one who loses one infant. If you lose an infant, you're forgiven all your sins because of that hardship. Okay. I know a man, his son drowns as a, t- as a teenager. He was never the same again. Sayyidah Aisha then inquired, what of those who, lost, who have not lost any children? The Prophet ﷺ said, I shall be an asset for him in the hereafter, an intercessor, because the loss due to my death shall be felt more than one's family and children. Okay. The loss of the Prophet ﷺ has brought upon great tribulation for all of us because we no longer have the scholar, uh, the, the messenger to clarify all Questions of religion. So we're, we're in a speculation on many questions. Valid speculation is in the madhahib. Uh, speculation is not allowed when there's ijma' on an t- interpretive text or if the text is explicit. Which is why when I'm going for the debate Wednesday, not this Wednesday, the next Wednesday, it's not going to be a debate. I'm just going to say this is what Islam says. It's a debate on qat'i issues. Just going to show the people, the audience that's there, that's what I'm going for. What is the truth on the matter of belief in the Prophet? Peace be upon Are we going to go crazy now and say you can be a, a Muslim or you, you, you're sa- saved after rejecting the Prophet? Peace be upon him. What exactly does he mean by belief in the Prophet? Is that like, is he talking about the Sunnah or is he saying, because obviously he believes no. in the Quran. Like, for example, I say to you, let's say, or say to someone who's not a Muslim, we have a prophet named Muhammad and this is, this is the requirement to believe in him and he's the messenger of God and there's heaven and hell and you must believe in the prophet peace be upon him this is part of your belief in God is to believe in the prophet peace be upon him he says oh it's really nice of you very thank you very much um, uh, no thank you I'm going to remain um, on my religion right? the thesis being that's acceptable, fine. You still go to Jannah. Rasul rejector, everything rejector. I don't care what he is, right? I'm going to go and speak to the audience there 
and to those who are going to watch it on YouTube, why it is necessity in our religion, in the internal logic. I'm not going to try to convince you to believe in the Prophet. That's another discussion. Based on the internal logic of Islam, of the Quran, right? This is the, tr- this is the case. You like it. You don't like it. That's a different subject. I wish you could like it. I wish that everyone would love it. But if you don't, I can't control you, right? But based on the internal logic of the Quran, you must believe in the Prophet. Are we going to play games here? Right? This is not even a debate. It's not a debate. Is there any Muslim could ever argue that Siyam Ramadan is Sunnah? Not Fard. For the Muqim. Hadr. Okay. Balig. Uh, Aqil. Meaning you have, you reach maturity, you have a sane mind. You are not traveling. You are not in menstruation. You are not in postpartum bleeding. You are not sick. You, all the conditions are met. Ramadan is sunnah. All right, salah, the five prayers a day, it's recommended. Okay. Is it, is it worse than the five and the worse than the five? It's a foundation. Yeah. The baby might get that wrong. A baby will not get this wrong. Anybody who who looks at Islam from for thirty seconds on the internet will come to the conclusion that oh, in this religion you, you gotta believe in the Prophet peace be upon him in order to that's the pillar of the religion, right? Remember Habib Omar's statement. The everything that, that that comes after life is celebration of the prophet so yeah. meaning that in in the grave right mm-hmm. you're going to be asked about who was the who was this man yeah والسلام, that came who was he and, and what do you say about subhanallah him? when you go in in the hereafter how does hereafter even begin subhanallah it, the day of judgment doesn't even begin without rasulullah yeah. and then on top of that now how do you get salvation drinking from kawthar subhanallah drinking from his hands and then on top of that entering jannah yeah what is written on top of every single bab? La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. How is about uh, the only safe place in, in the judgment is under his banner. And all the prophets will go there. So all the prophets are taking their followers to go there. <laughs> it's the only safe place <laughs> under the Liwa Ilham. It's like four out of the six intercessions are from Rasulullah. Yeah. Shows you. Subhanallah. How, how can you deny Rasulullah? So this to me is like um, the polite, it's the white glove version of the cartoons, right? It's one, it's, it's, it's the, the cartoons maligning the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's done by blue collar, like filthy people, but this is the white glove version of insulting the Prophet. You don't have to believe in him. And it's insulting all of our intellects. That's why I can't take this in good faith as a, an opinion in Islam. Like, it's illogical, unacceptable. And it's hypocrisy because, right? I mean, I guarantee you, if he was talking to a Christian and yeah. he came to Aisha ibn Maryam or their beliefs, yeah. he would not hold that position. Exactly. He's, he's a bootlegger, basically. You know, he's... It, it, he's is like, it's almost like saying, um, oh, that the most fundamental definition of anything, remove it and see if we buy it. I could be a vegetarian while also eating meat. Yeah, here's the thing. You I mean, can use you can use all sorts of fancy logic and yeah. semantics to cloud that and, and make it seem really murky. Yeah. But fundamentally, it's illogical. illogical. There's there's huge logic, illog- uh, huge contradictions that exist. Yeah. Things that cannot be resolved. Mm-hmm. And also, I uh, nobody is drumming. Chocolate Wallace asking who's drumming. 
um, but um, it is uh, the construction. We're lucky the internet's still. I mean, shut that off. Um, so, the the uh, also we got to look at like what is the intention? The intention that people are going to be watching the YouTube video. People are going to be there. The intention is to go and present them with clear proofs from the Quran. Anyone who has two eyes will know. So my intention is never the debater, right? That's not the that's not the debate. My intention is the audience. Okay. Shayan is asking, like, who would even say this? Yes, I'm, there there is some people who say this. And by the way, it's not just the Ibn Sina, Avicenna Muslim philosophers that he follows. It's also the perennialists who follow Frithjof Schwann, right, in their belief system that hold that, you know, the pious Christian, the pious Jew. Yeah, he hears about the prophet, respect the prophet, and he still go to paradise, right? So that, that, that all started back with the study of Quran, which is a book that promotes this, this idea. And every verse that seems to point to the obligation to believe in the Prophet for salvation, they refer in the study of Quran to an essay at the back, which is basically dismantling this idea. And so I, I have an article for them too. I already put it out. It's already on the website, but I'll share it later on. I just want to touch it up a little bit. Okay. I want to touch it. They, they're, they're, we'll leave it at that for now, and we'll cover it later. It, the guy... Um, has he's got other things he's got other sh- issues in terms of his politics right uh, but my issue and concern is this issue of belief in the messenger system has been my it's been a it's it's a non-discussion topic yeah in not <laughs> yes yeah, That's what I'm for. That's what it's for. It's for the Muslims who are confused. That's and 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 today is an era of confusion for everybody on even the most basic things. There's confusion. There's too many voices talking, right? So that's why repetition and repeatedly saying this and and bringing it out and hopefully this issue, um, this this uh, set of verses, this the logic behind it. There there is a logic to meaning and there's a logic to understanding what does the quran intend when it speaks when allah speaks in the quran what is he intending right is he intending allegory is he intending truth so that logic has to also be displayed mashallah that's really good that's really good And I had a big issue with everyone who promoted the study of Quran for that reason. By the way, they got upset, but most of them apologized later on. That's the truth. Privately, right? They backtracked. They said, we didn't know. We just thought it was a book, right? Like, it was a book. And we just thought, it was, you know, it's a good book. Because they, when they get to review it, they only get certain chapters. More than one have, have messaged me, like, they're like they, we saw each other, right, in different venues, and they said, honestly, by the way, uh, you were right about it because I only got like a chapter to review. And it was a good chapter. And they, there is some good things. Every, every book has some good things, right? And they didn't really even know that per, there was perennialism, a thing called perennialism, that these guys were perennialists. But 
a question. Yeah. The book I was studying upon, which has some some good, some very yeah. uh, beneficial parts, but they also have perennialist philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Is it is it okay to say if if you take this book, just be cautious of this this problematic idea because we have other books like this in our Islamic history where there may be some portions Pro- of it well, that are good. N- no, what was his name? On Muslim matters, there were other issues in the book too. But if someone is educated and they are aware of all these things, then Mm. fine, yeah, no problem. But you've got to be educated. You can't give this to a regular person who's not educated. Like if you tell me an article about cancer and you give me but, 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 I I don't even know the basics Mm. of biology. You can't give me but, but, but. Just give me something I could read and rely upon. Right. Right? Ry, could you take over for a second while I take a quick breather? We need commercials. No one goes two hours straight. (laughs) uh, Could you guys talk? You want me to recite? Astaghfirullah. Let's do our evening dhikr, bro. Afternoon dhikr. The last ten ayahs of Hashra, is that okay? A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Law anzalna hadha al-Qur'ana ala jabalin la-ra'aytahu khashi'an La-ra'aytahu khashi'an mutasaddi'an min khashiyatillah Tilka al-amthalu nadribuha للناس لعلهم يتفكرون هو الله هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم
الخلفة ولا غيرها على ستة أنواع نوع يحصل للأنبياء قبل نزول الوحي هذا يسمونه إرهاصات ونوع يحصل للأنبياء بعد نزول الوحي يتحدون به الناس هذا يسمونه معجزات ونوع يحصل لأتباع الأنبياء من أهل الاستقامة بسبب نور من الله وهذا يسمى كرامات ونوع يحصل للفجرة والكفرة على مقتضى ما يريدون وهذا يسمى استدراجات استدراج قالت على سنستدرجهم من حيث ولا يعلمون ومن ذلك ما يحصل للدجال استدراج ولأجل ذلك تجد أن الدجال حينما يظهر يبدي كثيرا من هذه الخوارق حتى إلى حد أن يحيي موتا وهو كافر وهو كافر شرير خبيث دجال أيوة. وأيضا ظهر ابن صياد في حياة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كما في صحيح البخاري وكان يحدث الناس عما في نفوسهم كشف سالم يجي يقول كذا حتى أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم جاء وقد خبا في نفس سورة الدخان فلما جاء إليه قال خبات ولا خبرنا قال الدخ 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 يريد أن يقول الدخان قال صلى الله عليه وسلم فلن تعدو قدرك أنت ما تتجاوز قدرك اللي حطك الله فيه فهو خلقه الله سبحانه وتعالى فتنة حتى توقع جماعة من أصحابه أنه الدجال نفسه وقال له سيدنا عمر أنه أريد أن أبطله بل إن يكونه يعني إذا كان هو نفسه الدجال فلن تسلط عليه ونوع خامس ما يحصل لهم خلاف مقصودهم بالعكس وهذا يسمونه إهانات مثل مسيلمة الكذاب قالوا له إن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم تفل في بير فخاض ماؤها إلى فوق وعندنا بير فيها ماء قليل نريد أن تقرأ فيها جاء يقرأ تفل غار ماؤها هذا يسمى إهانة قالوا له إن عين قتادة سقطت وردها محمد وعندنا واحد أعور على عين واحدة أنت شوف عين يتقرأ عليه يقرأ عليه فعميته صحيحة هذا يسمونه إهانات بعكس مقصوده ونوع سادس يحصل بواسطة استغاثة بأسماء بطلة من الجن وشياطين وعقد ونفذ مخصوص يسمى سحر صارت كم؟ ستة هذا خوارق العدد على ستة فيمكن أن يحصل للمؤمن منها كرامة ويمكن أن يحصل للكافر استدراج أو إهانة أو سحر ممكن يتم لكن ما يحصل للمؤمن مميز لأنه تحيط برعاية الله سبحانه وتعالى ونوره فهو آمن من المكر به ومن الاستدراج وهو آمن كذلك من التلبيس وتقليب الحقائق فهمت أم لا؟ ولهذا قالوا أن الكرامة الحقيقية ما هو مجرد المكاشف الكرامة الحقيقية استقامتك على المنهج تستقيم على منهج النبوة هذا الكرامة أكبر كرامة لأن هذه كرامة ما يشاركك فيها أحد من الكفار والفجار أبدا لكن خرق عادة ممكن منك ممكن من كافر لكن هذا الكرامة الحقيقية الكبيرة أن تكون مستقيم على المنهج ومن هنا قالوا الاستقامة أعظم كرامة And why is he sending us massive packages like this? Juan Manuel Garcia from Spain. We have no connection with Spain. Who is sending us these massive packages? Juan Manuel Garcia of Spain has sent us. Wow. Open.
Habibi, open the second one. Allahu Akbar. We, these are beautiful. Is there a note? And there's a big box downstairs too. But who is Juan Manuel Garcia? From Granada, Spain. Our, our, our man from Australia? Oh, this is the company, Rumi's Garden, and sent from there to us, but ordered by somebody else, by the way, and he did, um, Let, let's show the audience this, I gotta tell you, I love this company, rumi'sgarden.co.uk, I love this company, look at this, it is a... Sands of the Prophet, okay, Kaaba, drawing, showing the, it's an ancient map of showing the Medhabs, where the Medhabs were, Hanafi, Shafi, Maliki, Hanbali, where the Imams used to teach their fiqh, okay, and then it has on the outside, yeah, from here. Oh, yeah, that's true. That would make sense, actually. The North African corner should be the Madiki one, yeah, right? That would, cool. that would be interesting. And then it has... Uh, this was an amazing piece of art that was done a long time ago. Clearly by... It looks here to be of Maghribi style of script. It looks to me like Andalusi or Maghribi script. So for those on Instagram, this is what I'm looking at. Let's see it's shiny or not, but... Or reflecting on the mirror. Not now. This is a different one, but also similar. Hold this. Oh, this is the Rauda, Rauda Mubaraka, and the graves of Sayyid Kaunain Ali Abdullah Salati with Taslim, along with Sayyid Abu Bakr and Sayyid Omar, which is uh, definitely like uh, befitting now uh, that we talked about this subject. Let's put this back a little bit so that it doesn't um, have a reflection. And you could get something like this at RumiesGarden.co.uk. Mike is in the way here. Let's see if it's in focus on Instagram. Trying to get it in focus so that you see it. It's really gorgeous. And we have to find a nice spot to put this in these corners, but they won't be seen. Well, maybe we'll put them. Let's think. It definitely won't be seen by the studio, by the online audience anyway. But we'll find, yeah, maybe we'll put it here. Or when we do this phase two renovation downstairs, we'll put them there. Right. But we have. Uh, can't see the details here uh, uh, on uh, on the computer or uh, on the screen, but mashallah. Uh, thank you very much to our our friend from Australia. Okay, couple questions here. Muhammad Hussein says, "I used to believe in du'a completely, and I would ask something and see immediate answers, but." Now I doubt any dunya-related thing being answered. Why would you doubt that? Why would you doubt that? Because it didn't happen right away? No. Maybe you're asking something big that takes time. You need to have sabr. That Allah Ta'ala... Okay. If Allah Ta'ala... Belief in du'a was solely based on your experience. That's your mistake. Belief in du'a 
is based upon the promise of Allah. The mutlaq, the statement that is the absolute statement on this is Ud'uni astajib lakum. Anything else is an exception. Call upon me and you will be answered. Okay? It has nothing to do with how quickly you've been answered, etc. Right? How quickly it's been answered, all that stuff um, has nothing to do with it. So renew your iman by reciting Quran. Okay? Renew your iman. Recite more Quran, make wudu. And follow the command of Allah. Inna ladina yastakbiruna an ibadati. Allah blames those who are too arrogant to do ibadah. Now, how are you arrogant by this? You are judging Allah. You're saying He's not going to answer me. Who are you? He said He's going to answer you. Who are you? So don't even go there and continue with your dua. Now, the question is. Was the Prophet ﷺ poisoned that would render him a martyr, but then they did ghusl of him? So the answer the martyrs are of three types. There is the mar- there four types. There is the martyr of the battlefield. That is the only type of martyr who is buried without being washed. That's it. Then there is the one who dies. There's a second category. He is the martyr of the dunya, not the akhirah. And that is the one who dies in a non-religious battle, right? We, he is not washed, the soldier, battlefield deaths. He's treated like a martyr in the dunya, but we don't consider him shaheed. He died in a non-religious war, not a war that has nothing to do with the deen or haqq and batan. That's the second type. So he's not a martyr, but treated like one. Then you have the, one, the two categories who are martyrs, but are not treated like martyrs. And that divides into one we know and one we don't know. The one we know are the categories the Prophet said they, they are treated as martyrs in the akhirah, but not in the dunya. And they are the one who, who dies from drowning, being burned alive, uh, maptun. The building falls on him, the earthquake victims. The one who dies of a plague, the one who dies protecting his wealth. They're martyrs in the sight of Allah. But in this world, we wash them, we shroud them, we treat them like a regular dead person. And the fourth category is the one who is just like them, but we don't know who they are. And that is the one who serves Allah and His Messenger his whole life, and he serves the truth his whole life, and he dies a regular death. And they are the martyrs of the bed, and they are the most numerous. We don't know who they are. Only Allah knows them. Secondly, the second two categories of martyrs, or the ones that die from the, the categories the Prophet list listed, and they died serving the deen, but they died a regular death, they are martyrs, but they don't have the same level as the one who died in the battlefields. Right? You don't imagine how, if you think about going to battle, you would never go in, if you thought about it. Like, imagine we go to battle. We're headed to battle right now. The battles probably be around Dhuhr, let's say. End by Maghrib. In the ancient times, you don't fight at night. You can see. At Maghrib, you don't know which one of us is going to have lost an eye. You don't know if you're going to lose a nose, lose an arm. Death is not, death is the merciful out. What about going home, having lost a battle and lost an eye? your wife might not be able to, to, to keep up with you anymore. She might not be able to, to, to withstand that. You may get sliced in the face. You may lose an arm. 
and you didn't bring any spoils of war, and you lost the battle, how terrible is that? I mean, the people of the past, their life wasn't easy. What to do when some scholars don't even blink an eye to give a fatwa or ease the common people? They see that person is in difficulty, but most are putting incorrect pressure on commoners. Very sad. I would say that part of the Habib Omar's teaching in Dawah, and there's a book that we read for the Darfat sisters on the first and third Sunday of the month. Part of that is he said that uh, the, the, the da'iyah, the, and it's, it's really applicable to everybody, has to have an internal fiqh, fiqh al-batin. One of the meanings of that is to understand that when you teach, you also have to set people at ease, even when you teach the truth. And you have to set people um, to be, the people should be inspired and should not be made to feel that they are the worst of the worst. Okay, That is extremely important in da'wah, is not to make people feel miserable about themselves. And what is the proof of this? is the Prophet ﷺ criticized the Kharijites when he said, you despise your prayer when you see their prayer. You despise your fasting when you see their fasting. Whenever that happens, there's somebody yet there. Right? Where the idea here is, when I look at this person, I just feel so in... Um, what's the word? I just feel completely uh, like a failure. That is not the job of the faqih or the da'iyah. It's not the job also to give a person and uh, to let them walk away from your Q&A feeling that this deen is way up here, I'll never reach the standard. And so therefore there has to be some mention of the status of the effort and the recognition of the trial. There are a lot of good Muslims. Their family life is just too, it's extremely hard, Right? And they will stay away from religious people. They'll stay away from very um, perfectly practicing people because they just want to feel guilty 24 hours a day. Right? There are people who have great relationships with their parents, with their moms, with their dads, with their brothers and sisters, and those brothers and sisters are in left field. They want to practice, but they need rahmah. They need a break. They need sabr. That's an extremely important part of da'wah and part of answering questions. You don't just say, okay, here's the law, boom. You don't... And then you make the person walk away feeling like a terrible uh, failure. Okay, Even sometimes you could be a failure. But, all right, so you failed. right? You can pick yourself up and take it one step at a time. Do what you can do. So it's not that we're pulling the wool over people. I tell us that let's all just um, pretend we're doing good. No, it's okay to, be a, uh, to, to, to have to take multiple multiple attempts to get the job done right it's possible it's saying haraman gaman aloud it is it is only a bid'ah that is rejected if people start thinking that it's fard or sunnah even it's a dua right and Every once in a while, it is okay to do that, but it should not be all the time such that a Muslim kid grows up thinking that's the sunnah after salah. The kid doesn't even pray right, right? And then he turns and says, Haraman, and he doesn't even know what he's saying. And he probably definitely never said gaman. 
Haraman Gaman, people don't know what it is uh, if you're not from Egypt and you're not like related to somebody from the 60s, is that it means, may we pray in the Haram one day. And then the other person says, all together, inshallah. It's a nice dua, but it's not something that should be repetitively done to the point that people think that uh, this is a sunnah. And if youth start thinking that that's what you do, then it should not be done so that they learn that you don't have to do this, nor is it sunnah. Okay, That's the idea. Can I ask how a lay person can identify which books he can read on his own? A lay person defined as somebody who is not formally studying. You should read Shama'il, Sirah, Stories of the Prophet ﷺ, Descriptions of the Afterlife, Descriptions of Angels, Description of Allah's Names and Attributes. These are general things that do not involve a, a doctrine or law. If it's doctrine and law, then you should first get a foundation through a living teacher, through an online course even, um, and then you could start even reading fiqh and aqidah books that your teacher has shown you the foundations and then um, advise you. Okay. Next question. Lily Rose says, it was such a risk to the living to wash the ones who died of a plague. Thank you. Okay. Is it a bad thing they weren't? Well, of course, you would not wash them or touch them if you can get a risk of plague. Good question. I don't know if she was even asking that or having a discussion back and forth. Is it halal for women to watch the Super Bowl? Yeah. It's, I, I mean, if, uh, I don't really get technical about these things, but I guess the aura is covered, right? Some of those linemen's uh, pants are a bit tight, right? Yeah, all the pants are tight. But do you, you, sometimes they cut away and they see the, 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 the guy's uh, tights. <laughs> yeah. You're going to say astaghfirullah either way. They're going to pant to a cheerleader at some point and you say astaghfirullah. They're going to put music on you say astaghfirullah. The whole thing is a big astaghfirullah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way to get to You sound silly even getting fiqhi about it. I cannot follow one school scholar or school of scholars, but highly respect their methodology and try to practice it. But have an ability to study the schools and many local imams I respect, but they have an import mentality. Can I guide the people around what I believe is best for the time of place? Well, study. This is Isa asking, study, right? Study with different scholars, but you choose a methodology and you stick with it. That is your methodology. You'll swim around different methodologies, not the way. Try it, you'll see it's not the way. Okay. When is the beginning and the end of time for the morning and evening athkar? The morning athkar are from Fajr to Dhuhr. The evening athkar from Asr, mid-Asr onwards. Because you are welcoming the day and welcoming the night, essentially. Seeking refuge from the harms of the day and seeking refuge from the harms of the night. And asking for the benefits of the day and the same for the night. Is the age of Aisha's marriage accepted or disputed? I don't know. Do we trust her testimony on it as an adult woman? And Bukhari's transmission of that? I do. I, it's her testimony. And love wins, doesn't it? Isn't that the slogan of the day? Why don't you leave her and her married life and her, uh, who she loves and who she willingly and happily was married to? Leave that alone. Okay. 
You last gave an example of how the four schools work in common language. Everyone used their intellect in what food will be cooked and different results came. How does talfiq work when all are valid? Talfiq is going from one valid opinion to another and mixing and matching them. And that and this is a valid... Your ibadah will be valid provided that each act, salah, wudu, psalm, zakah, is, done in a, is valid in one of the four methods. However, this isn't a methodology that is praiseworthy. It's blameworthy. So you can do something valid, but it's a blameworthy methodology. You're inserting yourself, mixing and matching. There's lack of consistency, lack of submission. So... The way of the ulama forever has been choose your methodology. Use your brain to study the four imams. Choose your methodology. And that's where we use our brain. Afterwards, we follow that methodology. And we understand the basis of the rulings. What do we do when some scholars, we answer this. Uh, Sophia says, I have to vent here. I talked to lovely British revert today, really into the dean. And she told me she's been struggling with anxiety. Okay, And I, then she said, I shared the prescription that we always talk about here sending much salah and salam on the messenger of allah she replied that she had to check if she had heard that from her shiur so that she doesn't fall into bid'ah and shirk see that's the 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 the, the good thing about that you follow those um uk scholars many of them who are on youtube and you can't move without fearing that you're going to fall into bid'ah and shirk so congratulations for the achievement their, their achievement and even getting converts on this now I don't know if it's bid'ah or shirk to do something that the Qur'an commands you to do. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. It's gone to such a level of jahl. And by the way, some of these guys, they're not all jahl, they know some stuff. They're not fools, but the minhaj, the fatawa that, they're, that they believe in, are, they're not correct, correct, simple as that, what else could I say? And many of the fun foundations of aqidah that they're upon. And usul that they're upon. Like socially, like I think it's mo most important to show that socially it's a problem. Like they think the majority of Muslims are Catholics. Yeah. And they'll say it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that they would say it outward, but yeah. I just experienced it. Brian just had an experience like that with a convert. On a convert group, told the Muslim, the converts there, most Muslims are Kafirs. The majority of the Muslims are Kafirs. He's like, yeah. this is this is Qati, basically, yeah. saying this. This is their belief. Yeah. It's just uh, uh, a dangerous belief. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just um, uh, a mentality. Let's just look at the result. How's that? Just look at the result. People burn out. People just can't stand it, right? And because it's not correct. That's why. Um, can where can I study? Uh, in Saudi Arabia, do you know any schools, programs? I can refer you to people in Saudi Arabia, but I need to get you, you need to, I need to look them up in my contact list and then, and then, yeah, there, and, and I need to know what city, Mecca, Medina, Jeddah, Ahsa, Riyadh, Riyadh, you move, if you want to start, <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> Okay, um, wow, subhanAllah. That's extreme. What does it mean when people say that haram relationships remove barakah of marriage? In anything that you do that is sinful, you have corrupted the equally 
permitted and halal avenue. So if you um, if you have a halal business, you have another business that is in the haram, you are corrupting the halal money. If you're involved with women outside of marriage, you will find that you will, your marriage, which is halal, will not have blessings in it. So when you're mixing like this, you're going to... Um, uh, you, you ruin your own what is pure for you. Where did Ammar go, by the way? Anza says, why is there a punishment of the grave if the judgment has not passed yet? It is for the believers a form of... Firstly, you're going to an abode. That abode, it's of the ruh. So if your ruh is not ready because you destroyed it in this life, then imagine... You have a body in this life that is not fully developed. Aren't you in a torture? You're in misery, right? You're in misery. So you, but this time, it's self-induced. You yourself ruined your soul. So when you go to an abode that is all souls, you will be in a state of misery. And secondly, who said that punishment only begins after judgment? No, punishment begins here. So if you, what goes around comes around, said the prophet. You do terrible things in this life, you may be punished in this life. Then at death, then in the barzakh, then upon the resurrection, then in hellfire after that too. It's possible. So for the mu'min, it's purification. For the mu'min, it's purification. He's being purified. But it's also something he did for himself. Are we allowed to have a no-strings-attached nikah? No. Nikah cannot involve... The explicit statement that you don't have to give me your rights. The, the, that is the purpose of marriage is for the woman to be maintained. Okay? The man to have intimate relations with the woman. These are the legal give and takes of marriage. And therefore these things cannot be nullified because you're nullifying the purpose of the contract. For a whole purpose of the thing. Now if you wink at each other and you don't put that in the contract... All right, we don't know that, right? Then we can't pass a judgment on you guys. That's your private business. But if you put that in the contract, that's not acceptable. And the contract's not just what's written, it's what you say. If she says, hey, listen, marry me, but you don't have to do anything, just come visit me every once in a while. We say, no, this is not, this is not, this is, uh, not acceptable. That clause of the contract is not acceptable. He still has to maintain her. Sam says, I'm disturbed by the hadith that claims it is okay to call on angels when lost in the desert. Isn't dua worship? No, it's not worship. You, you, yeah, yeah, you just are called upon me to answer your question, right? So if I stop, as every husband and wife does, stop, pull over, and ask for directions. I say, excuse me, sir, can you point me to the highway? That is a request. And the prophet is telling you, you're not alone in the desert. Call out. There are angels there. Ask them for directions. That's all it is. Yeah. Dua is a request from the one who you believe is the source of all bless, uh, truth and blessings. That's what dua is. But to simply ask for directions, just because you don't see the angel... Do you see Siri and you talk to her all the time? Doesn't even exist. It's a thing that doesn't even exist. And people, hey Siri, where do I go from here? Blah blah blah. Okay, it's something that doesn't even exist. 
Yeah, it doesn't really matter even. Yeah. Ya ibadallah, dulluni ala tariq. Ya ibadallah. That's what Imam Ahmad said. That wasn't exactly the hadith that says, Ya ibadallah, ihbisu when your animal is lost. Ya ibadallah, my animal's running away. I have no control. There's no human I can call upon there. So I call on the unseen. Malaika. Ya ibadallah, ihbisu. This hadith has so many different narratives. Imam Nawi acted upon it. He said it's true. It worked. I seen it work from my teachers and I did it myself. Imam Ahmad himself. Um, he said, Ya ibadallah, dulluni ala tariq. And he kept saying it, saying it, saying it, saying it. And then he was inspired to turn right, to turn left. And then he found his way back. Like, so, if you don't want to take advantage of this, don't take advantage of it. Fine. But, uh, dua by itself uh, is different from talab. A dua is with the belief that this is the source. Nobody believes the angels is the source. When I pull over and I ask a guy for directions, is he the source of knowledge? Do I even go there? Uh, hold on honey let, let me let me ask this guy but first I have to make my intention to know that he's not the source of directions the source of directions is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alright now I get my intention straight okay sir could you please tell me where, where to go nobody does this common sense you know he's not he's a created being nobody even goes there with their mind when you ask for directions if I'm falling and I say hey Omar help me out right are we gonna now make people go crazy that the con- yeah I, was, I called upon omar i called upon omar now and I, and i need to redo my shahada based on this logic or illogic is there a formula to raise your tawakkul this will should grow your trust in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by obeying what he has told us to do whether we like it or not or understand it or not the more you exercise that muscle Okay, the more your tawakkul increases. Could you comment on Twitter and TikTok? Da'is giving fatwas and Islamic advice without credentials. Um, we should just, if if I, I firstly generally recommend people and ulama and du'at to use every um, means out there. And all of us who are in this field have to make sure that what we're saying is correct. And if you are a listener, start to become a savvy listener. If you're somebody and the world out there that listens to Islamic lectures, it's massive. Billions of people are tuning into this stuff. So you need to become a savvy listener, meaning to know the difference between a preacher and a scholar. And such that you should also know how, and you should develop sources, how to check if something's correct or incorrect. That's what a savvy, like there's a savvy investor. It doesn't watch MSNBC talking about a company. Oh, okay, let me put in 50 grand into the company. No. There's savvy, you have to be a savvy listener of these things, right? Does MBIC host Dela'il Khairat weekly? No, but we should. And hopefully we will in the future. Okay. Bin Suleiman, how do you correct the bringing of Barakah where one was in a haram relationship for several years out of ignorance? Then do nikah to correct the situation. Allahu yaqbalu tawbah ta'an ibadi. Wayafuan kathir. Allah accepts tawbah. Make tawbah. It's not hard. Fatush saying billions? Yes, billions. If you if you if you include Urdu, if you include Arabic, billions of people are watching all sorts of different Islamic Twitter 
accounts, YouTube videos, Instagram, TikTok. Billions of people are watching this stuff. Muhammad al-Arifi by himself is at 100 million. And he doesn't even do anything anymore. He disappeared. I believe he was told to stop. He's a Saudi guy who was extremely popular, right? Uh, some of the Desi scholars have in like the dozens of mil- millions. Multi- so this stuff is out there. And it's good that it's out there. But it just has to be done right, like everything else. Is it true that some Maliki scholars were against reading Ghazali due to his Ash'ari creed? They were, but not due to his Ash'ari creed, due to his talks, his chapters on Tasawwuf. No one was more Ash'ari than the Malikiyah himself. And who Ghazali leans on were Malikiyah, right? No one was more Ash'ari than the Malikis. So that was not the reason they had an issue with him. The reason they had an issue with him was his speech about Mukashifa and Tasawwuf and all that. That they didn't believe in. Or they felt it should be limited. Okay. So be all, the solution is be savvy listeners, savvy readers. Understand that we have to go back and make sure what we're reading is correct. If you support this live stream, go to patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. What is the point of making du'a for yourself after making du'a for someone else if the angels already make du'a for you? Because it is also, we are asked by Allah to do so. We are commanded. So we should not feel, ah, I'm too good, I don't need anyone, I'm fine, I'm good, I don't need anyone's help. We should not have that. It's ta'abud, the sirr of ubudiyah, the secret or the essence of being abd of Allah is in asking Allah Ta'ala when we need help. Okay. Will NBF continue in Ramadan only for the first 20 days, Monday through Thursday schedule, but last 10 days we don't do the live stream. What's the zakat on flipping houses? Flipping houses is considered um, that you are muhtakir, which, which means that you will pay zakat the moment you make the sale. You sit on the house however long you want. The moment you sell it, then you pay zakat on it. Okay. That's how it works. I remember that you taught that the Sahaba that carried the slippers of Sayyid al-Kawnain, alayhi salat, was maintained financially by his blessed wife, radiallahu anh. I believe that what I meant there is that the wives of the Prophet wasallam gave sadaqah to the poor Muslims of Medina regularly to the point that they they were living off of that sadaqah or getting through their hard times off that sadaqah. Then the Prophet sought to arrange their permanent stability through marriage and other jobs. That was We see many instances in which the Prophet sought to, to basically establish the life of a young person who was serving him, not just keep using him. No. How do we respond when someone says, raising the hand after fard salah is a bid'ah? Well, there's hadith that the Prophet always made dua after salah. And we have other hadith. The Qur'an tells us, call upon Allah, remember Allah after you establish the prayer. And we have many hadith that the Prophet raised his hand in dua after salah. Is it permissible to say it's in God's hands now? Yes, if you're speaking allegorically about the attributes of Allah. Only Ibrahim Khan says, who can give fatwa? There is two types of fatwa. There is istifta, which is just Q&A, about fiqhi matters that are established already in the books. If you know the answer, you can give that uh, the answer to that. Fatwa is on a new matter 
that has not been decided and requires that type of ijtihad about that matter, and that's what's limited to the muftis. New matters. I want to visit China for my family sometimes, says Mu'mina, but I'm afraid if I can wear hijab or not. I can ask uh, one of our friends who is Chinese, Muslim. Can, her, can a Muslim woman show her face online and do public da'wah? There's discussion about it. If it's done in a respectful manner, we see many of the ulama permitting that. But if there's going to be some fitna, then no. It's ikhtilaf on that matter. Okay. Where are you going, Habib? Since when do you study? What class? University class? Since when? I, I never knew. We. Not we're going to a studio in 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 Highland Park to record the the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Abbas says I've had a question for a while. Why is he called Baqillani? Maybe. His uh, family were involved in Baqilla, which is um, uh, the non-perishable like seeds, legumes. I guess that's why. Who is considered a mufti? A mufti is the one who has ijazah from another mufti, who has ijazah from another mufti, who has ijazah from another mufti, all the way back to the Prophet Not a PhD in fiqh, no. That's not enough. Will the next week's debate be live stream? Yes. Probably like UCLA's YouTube channel. What would make it a fitna for women doing dawah in public? So once she goes in public, now you have filthy people in public. That we have takedown artists. We have people who may, um, you know, misuse the videos in a way and comment on her looks. You have a lot of other things that are fitna that for a guy is not going to be much of an issue, right? But um, now, what is a husband going to do, right? And there are, unfortunately, there is a whole class of takedown artists, Islamic takedown. They never promote anything of what we should do. They just take down somebody who disagrees with their opinion on something. And sometimes they're right about it, and sometimes they're not. Can you stop your husband from marrying a second wife? You can seek a divorce if you want. A khula, where he's going to, he doesn't want to divorce you, but you want to get out of the marriage, and he didn't do anything wrong. So you ask him, all right, what, what is it going to take for you to divorce me? He says, well, at least give me back the dowry, something like that. That's called a khula, where you negotiate for him. He doesn't want to divorce you, but you want to get out of the marriage. And yet he didn't do anything forbidden. Or even that discomforts you uh, personally, to you yourself personally. So you can simply say that, all right, just give me, uh, I'll pay you this and just get me out of this marriage. Why did the prophet... Ayub used the word shaitan, afflicted me with much suffering. Does that mean illness was caused by shaitan? That's a good question. The answer to that is that we are allowed to speak about the middleman in the same language that we speak of the source. So I'm allowed to say that doctor so-and-so saved my life, whereas we know that Allah is the one who saved our lives, right? Because Allah himself says, Verily, the angels of death take your souls. They give you death. Are they giving you death or is Allah causing the death so the, or, or the source of the death? So we are allowed to speak about the, sor- the source and the cause with the same language knowing that we believe different things. I'm allowed, that's what I said. Oh, oh, Omar, help me, I'm falling. 
does not mean because I said, oh, Omar, that I believe he is the source of my salvation. No, he's just a middleman who is helping me. It's important to know this. And that's where their whole logic is based upon this conflation. The speech about the source and the cause, the middleman, the sebab. So we are allowed to speak about both of them in the same language while believing in the same thing. Why? Because that's how human language is. It's easier. I say, and we can say, no problem, right? But if I was a man, he saved my life, period. Did I do shirk? Right? Man, you, you killed my father. All over the seerah, so-and-so killed so-and-so, right? Does that mean that I believe he's a source of causing death? No, right? So that language, that regular everyday language is not something that is the source of shirk. Maulana Sway, some people say, how could you say the Prophet is alive? Then why don't you dig up his grave? How do you refute this? No, you don't need to refute it. It itself is the stupidest comment I've ever seen. Allah says about the martyrs. So do we, did we ever see anyone going digging up martyrs? How dumb is this comment? Can you explain how Sayyidina Jibreel filling the mouth of Fir'aun with soil in fear of his toba, but the angels are not of free will? Who said they're not, they, have, they don't have free will to do right or wrong? Everything they do is good. So their free will ends at what is not acceptable with Allah. Everything they do, using their mind. They have brains. They ask questions. But everything they do is within what pleases Allah. They are for us a reflection of what Allah loves. Angels to us, for us. They are a, they're soldiers of Allah. They're, Allah uses them in many different things. But they are a reflection. Anytime where there's angels, there is the rida of Allah. Anytime an angel does something, it's a good thing. So that's what they are, what they, are they, they also represent for us. How do we drain the dunya out of our heart? Get married, have a family, have kids. The dunya will be drained out of your bank account. You'll, get, you'll pay so much that you'll be like, oh, I can't love this thing. It's always going. It's always leaving me. Money's always leaving me. I can't love it. It's always leaving you. And it'll come too. You'll, get, you'll, you'll have more money when you get married. You'll spend more money, but you'll have more money when you have marriage and kids. And you'll be happy with it. You should be happy with it. Just, uh, you know, enjoy it. And I never, ever bother anymore paying a bill, paying a heating bill, paying for gas, paying for soccer, paying for sword fighting, paying for fencing, whatever it is, paying for tuition. I do it happily, right? That's part of the package of the ni'mah, right? And so the idea of money leaving your hands, get used to it, okay? So if it keeps leaving your hands, then it'll eventually leave your heart. Okay, what did boxers say? That had answered his question, and he has people remind, asking me to. It's about Bitcoin. I don't know. I can't tell you it's a scam or not a scam. Who knows? Is it halal? Yes, it's halal to invest in Bitcoin. But is it a scam? Is it harmful? There's a lot of speculation in all that world of Bitcoin. Is one a hater of Ahlul Bayt? If you wonder why the remote descendants of the Prophet get salawat just by their lineage, is this jealousy? First of all, you have to correct yourself. When the Prophet ﷺ says, make salah on Muhammad wa alihi, alihi here, tafsir by Imam Malik means all his supporters. 
What's the proof? The Prophet himself says, "Kullu taqiyin alu Muhammad." Every taqi is Ali Muhammad. If we then say Alihi wa sahbihi, then that Al refers to his family. Then we are referring to his supporters, who are divided between friends and family. So that salah and salam, that dua is limited to the first generation of Muslims, his direct family and his supporters. But but Imam Malik makes it very clear in Islam, uh, in 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 the Sharh of that hadith, that Ali Muhammad is every supporter of the Prophet And if you are getting jealous, why do they get the dua? Then you have to purify your heart. And if we said Ahli Baytihi, there should be no problem with that. Why? He loves his family. So you love his family too. Do not get jealous, right? Allah chose that ni'mah for them. Simple, right? Allah chose that blessing for them. So accept it. And is not the angel making du'a for you too? Right? Every time you make a du'a, the angels make du'a, and there are more angels around you than yourself. So you get it multiple times over, so you should be happy. Chances are you'll get it and not them. Because the Ahl al-Bayt are relying on your du'a, and you're relying on the angels' du'a. So chances are the angels' du'a will be more accepted than ours. Can you extrapolate the hadith about angels for other things? Could you ask angels on your shoulders to wake you up for fajr? Yes, you may do that too. And Allah knows best. But you have to take asbab. You have to take the seen asbab before the unseen asbab. Oh angel, wake me up for fajr. But you have an alarm clock, right? Take the seen asbab, then the unseen asbab. But... If you were to do that, maximum would happen is uh, uh, there's there's nothing wrong with it for sure. But what is the max that uh, max and uh, and minimum? The worst thing is that no, the angels will not help you, right? That's the worst thing that could happen. But there is no shirk in that and, and, and bid'ah in that. Ya ibad Allah, duluni ala tariq. Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Ya ibad Allah, ihbisu hadith. Both of all these are in hadith. It is allowed to go to Events where there is drinking around you, Allah Adam, it depends on the degree of it. Best way to get ready for Ramadan, I would say start fasting once a week, then in, in Shaban, maybe even twice a week, to get your body so used to the CM. And don't limit it to Monday and Thursday. Sometimes Tuesday is your only day off. Wednesday is your only day that you could fast. Monday you can't fast, for example. Don't limit yourself in that regard. All right, our last question. Is it sound, says Sigestu, to tell someone they don't deserve a piece of knowledge that makes people closer to the truth and refuse to give it them because they refuse to read books? Imam Shafi'i says that not giving knowledge to an ignorant person is like putting jewelry on a donkey. You don't always have to answer people if they're in a situation where they will take the knowledge lightly and they will disrespect it. That's the answer to that question. You don't always have to tell people. If it's something that's fard, then maybe, right? But if they're asking out of mockery, if they're asking out of... Let me give you an example. I had a question the other day. Someone said to me, what is the ruling on a husband and wife? They fertilize an egg, right, for to have a child, and they give it to a surrogate mother. So I said, I will tell you what the muftis say about that because we have already asked about that, Right? And then I said, you know, like, did they not know this beforehand? And the person says, no, they, they don't respect scholarship. They think it's a bunch of movies. 
I said, oh, it's that, that type of person. I'm not talking to them anymore. Click. I'm not talking to a people who think that. Did you're disrespecting yourself. I said, I will answer you out of curiosity. Right? And the answer to that is, Sharia holds the mother to be the woman who gave birth. In ummahatum illa Quran. Their mothers are the ones who gave birth to them. And if she does that, and she's married, she's a surrogate mother, and she's married, her husband takes on the financial responsibility. She is the mother. The Sharia, by law. I'm not saying by DNA. By, by law, we've judged by the outward most bare minimum, and that, that's the ruling, right? By the law of this world, we all saw that this baby came out of you. You are treated as the mother. If you have a husband, he's treated as the father. If you're not, then that's even maybe treated as a zina, right? So Sharia is not saying what is the DNA. But Sharia is making a law by based on what is most obvious to all of us. Because that stuff that happens in labs, etc. Yes, you may be able to prove it now. But ultimately, it is speculative knowledge limited to a certain set of specialists. So Sharia will simply rule by the bare minimum of the outward form of things. And this, that's why this is impermissible. It's not permitted to, put that, to do this in the first place. It's going to confuse up all lineages. And who knows, maybe even those kids come up wondering... You know, who's my mom? This is, and there's a, there's no way that we can say the Sharia does not hold that motherhood is limited to whose egg it is from the female side. Because who's nurturing that baby? Whose body's nurturing that baby, right? The surrogate mother's mother. She's nurturing that baby. Her body's nurturing. So are we going to now say that that has no impact? No, it has an impact. So, in the Quran says, "In ummahatuhum illa la iwaladinahum." Okay, wa innahum la yaquluna munkaram al qawli uzura. It has to do with something else completely. But the language of that hadith is the evidence for why the muftis say that the mother, by law, by Sharia, is treated as the one who gave birth. If we all see a woman giving birth to a baby, we will attribute that baby to that mother. He doesn't care what the DNA says. Okay, that's the Sharia. I mean, everyone has to like it. But that's what Sharia is. And that's the fatwa of the scholars. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry for dragging this, but I'm talking about an actual Muslim who wants to prove God and come closer to Allah. Then, no, we're not allowed to block them from knowledge. If, I can, if you can't answer them, answer them. If you don't have time or ability to answer them, then you're forgiven. But you, you cannot block them from seeking knowledge. Right. Adi Mama says even mothers that breastfeed babies thank you you see that I mean she even gave something I hadn't even thought of the mother who breastfeeds only not carries Sharia treats her as a mother right thank you very much okay and Shazia may Allah Ta'ala give you a speedy relief and may Allah Ta'ala benefit you and bring you uh, what you are seeking in this life before the next and we just have to obey Allah and trust in him, make sure we avoid the haram from our lives, and we uh, need to recite a lot of Qur'an to strengthen our hearts, and then move forward in trust in Allah, and have sabr, be patient. Last question, du'a for marriage, yes we have, la rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir, and it's our top Sufi society video. Okay, du'a for marriage. Okay. How do you keep your children involved with the masjid without confusing them? Often there are events for kids, that involve movies, sporting events, 
I don't think the masjid will show something explicitly directly haram, hopefully. But I would say that being around Muslims as much as possible is the best thing for kids. No doubt about it. Just be around them as much as possible as long as it's something not explicitly directly forbidden. And we ask Allah Ta'ala for help. Jazakumullah khairan, everyone. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr inna insana lafi khusr. Illa alladhina amanu wa aminu salihat. Wa tawasu bilhaq. Wa tawasu bilsabr. Oh